1: Our guest today at Reimagine America Radio is Jim Rex, the former Secretary of Education and former gubernatorial candidate of the state of South Carolina. Jim is the chairman of the Alliance Party of the United States of America, a new political movement. The manifesto of this new political movement describes itself as a political reform movement whose singular goal is to dramatically transform our dysfunctional partisan democracy of extremism into a functional democracy driven by innovation and term-limited political leaders. Unlike the duopoly, the Alliance Party's aim is not to move the direction of the country either left or right, but rather to move it forward, to create a revitalized world leading United States. Let's call it America 2.0. You know, that's a goal we share at Reimagine America. We wanna see a vibrant 21st century America with equality, economic opportunity, political strength, the leader of the global rules-based order as we've been for nearly a century now. And all of that at this very moment, I think Jim will agree in just a second, is at peril. So it's time to talk about where we are today and how we move forward toward that goal of a revitalized, world-leading United States, America 2.0. Jim, we're living in the in the divided states of America as we begin the 2020 election.
2: We certainly are, Joyce, and it's great to be with you again. Thanks for the invite. Oh, uh, it's our pleasure. Not only a divided states, but you know, divided families, um, divided. Uh, houses of worship, divided workplaces. Um, division seems to be the uh, dominant word in terms of describing where we are today.
1: It's more than a difference of opinion. You know, I thought 2016 was the nadir of our small, our Republican democracy, that the Constitution was being tested in 2016. But wow, over the last few years, i 've had an opportunity, as you have, as every American has to see the Constitution stressed almost beyond our imagination. Where do yeah. we go from here? What is it i mean you're you're living more in the center of it than, than we Californians you know we're used to voting by mail two thirds of us do every election, although this is the first time somebody's tried to put up fake fake collection boxes, and we can talk about that yeah. but but We don't see a lot of the really angry, back and forth, ugly 30-second, one-minute commercials that are populating the airways, I know, in South Carolina, because I get all those requests to give money from both sides. Um, and, And so we are, I mean, we're seeing this country torn asunder politically. I
2: know that this is not unique this kind of battle before a a general election. But um, the intensity, as you point out, and the vitriol is something that um, is probably unprecedented. You're right, here in South Carolina, we have a a battle going on, not just for the presidency, but between um, an incumbent senator, Lindsey Graham, and uh, his uh, opponent, uh, Jamie Harrison, who's a Democrat. And uh, both candidates have received an incredible amount of money. The The amount of money that's being spent on this election, as you know, and as I hope your listeners know, is, is really a, obscene. Uh, yeah. We're talking about probably once we calculate it all, we'll probably never be able to calculate it all because of dark money, but we're talking a couple of billion dollars easily, probably more. But we are bombarded, saturated with... Um, political advertisements, and I would say that two-thirds of them are negative on both sides.
1: And, And they're full of falsehoods. You know, that's part of the problem. There was a time when you could listen to NBC, ABC, or CBS, and you could listen to someone who was giving you the news. I mean, factual information. In today's siloed um, you know, multi-channel information source. You don't know what's true and what isn't true, and what's on the, a lot of what, what's on the airways. Um, I see snippets more on Twitter than I do on the airways, thank God. But um, there's a lot of falsehood. And it's not just bitter. It's not just angry. It's outright lies.
2: Yeah, what bothers me, I think, the most about that, Joyce, is not that. Not simply the fact that it's so hard to figure out what is fact versus fiction, what is truth versus falsehood, but there are more and more Americans that seemingly are saying they don't care. Uh, They don't, it doesn't matter. Uh, The truth is relative. And they really just want to hear things that comfort them and the position they've already taken. Well, and, and,
1: Instruments like Facebook and to an extent Twitter, um, and I I would imagine Instagram. I don't never do anything politically on Instagram. Um, are are channeling those people into silos based on all this data that they collect on us. So they so they make your they make it the silo you're in narrower and narrower and narrower, so that you don't know what you're reading is true or not true.
2: Yeah, it's an incredible reinforcing um, algorithm that they have built into these systems now, that as soon as you start to show a bias, they feed you more and more of that particular uh, set of biases.
1: Yeah, well, I, you know, I hate to give uh, competitors a plug, but Netflix is carrying a one-hour documentary called Social Dilemma, And if you're struggling as a voter to understand how to sort your way through this deluge of information and figure out what's true and what isn't true, um, Social Dilemma will help you do that in a a fairly painless way. Uh, Otherwise, I can recommend a lot of books on the subject. But the fact of the matter is that in previous elections, we have argued about things like taxation. Oh, they're going to raise your taxes. Oh, Paul Ryan's going to take away your mother's Social Security. I mean, that was pretty out there, but you know, it was um, it, it was the standard political fare that we've known since the Civil War. Today, I feel like the intensity, QAnon, um, these dark web militia groups, et cetera. It seems it's worse than it's been at any time since, or perhaps because we have more channels before the Civil War? Well I
2: think it is worse. I, I think that it has it has sort of metastasized and it's gone outside of the sort of normal political rhetoric that you just as you just said that we've gotten used to. Now we have all of these ancillary groups that support that ideology, sometimes through actions, not just words. And so it, it's gotten it's gotten worse and there's no reason to think that this trend is going to change unless we do something, we, meaning the people in this country, do something to change the trajectory.
1: Well, I still like to believe that the majority of voters in this country, and as you know, we've we've talked about this in the past, whether you call it and as we do in california decline to state or as other states call it independence or whatever that the fastest growing party in the united states politically is that third party declined to state independent whatever you want to call it that is basically saying i don't belong to either of these extremes that's the thing that gives me hope that we can recreate a, a congressional system, a representative system, in which um, neither party goes for the jugular.
2: You know? Well, it, what you're describing, Joyce, is
1: exactly
2: the rationale for why I'm involved, along with many other people around the country, in trying to create a, a new alternative, a new approach. Because so many Americans, know what they don't want any further, what they don't want to see continuing. They know what they don't like, what doesn't work, what they find distasteful. The problem is, because they've never been exposed to a viable alternatives, they're not real sure what that alternative is or what it should look like or how it would work, which is understandable. And so you're right, I mean, independence and unaffiliated is the largest group of voters now, when you ask them to self-identify, the problem is that many of those people, when it comes time to vote, still continue to vote either Republican or Democrat, because they see that, as you know, this, this infamous phrase, the lesser of two evils choice. And uh, it's like saying you're a vegetarian, but the restaurant you go to only serves hot dogs and hamburgers. It's pretty hard. It's pretty hard to act upon the fact that you say you're a vegetarian, just as now it is very hard to act on the fact that you say you're an independent.
1: Well, yes. And then when you say you're an independent, the next question that that they ask is, well, do you lean Republican or Democratic? Exactly. And And the fact of the matter is that what made this country work until very recently, I mean, who was, who was George Bush's first um, house guest at the White House? Ted Kennedy and his wife. Had them up to the, you know, to the residence. Had dinner, watched a movie, and talked about what they could get done together. Right. And that was, that was less than 20 years ago.
2: Well, it used to be th- that type of behavior, as we both know, because we've been around a little while, that kind of behavior used to be seen as a virtue, as a strength to reach out to people who were on the other side of an argument or who believe differently than you. That is no longer the case. And the two parties, I think, are mostly responsible for that. You know, calling someone a rhino, for example, if they don't adhere to everything that the party says they should be saying or doing or, or voting in support of. The Democrats are just as bad. So now compromise, seeking consensus, finding common ground is a sign of infidelity, a sign of weakness, not a sign of strength.
1: Well, how did we get, though, in 20 years from that sort of an outreach which both parties welcomed and which they were able to work on, even in spite of differences they had um, over how we would retaliate for the 911 attack um how did we get from there to a decade later barack obama saying well i've still got my phone and my pen uh when he lost the house and and then the senate um and and then to things like qAnon we we are going to have a person a woman from georgia who is an active qAnon member Rep, it, sitting in the House of Representatives.
2: Yeah, I know. I mean, how
1: did how how did we get there? How how did how does did a population which has one of the highest literacy rates in the world find itself drawn to conspiracies like QAnon? I mean, I, I use QAnon because. It's so far out there. It's well beyond the idea that Russia interfered or didn't interfere in the 2016 election, which we can't seem to get beyond. But QAnon it is, a, it is a cult akin to the witch trials in Salem in the 17th century.
2: Well, you're right. And I, I think there are lots of, of reasons for why this, this uh, cosmic shift has occurred in terms of how we view our politics and how we view one another. You know, the media certainly had a lot to do with that. These technological advances, quote unquote, that give us so much information so quickly. And then the parties themselves, uh, you know, one thing that has never changed is that politicians want to stay in office, they want to retain power. So they're driven by what will get them reelected. And as I said a few minutes ago, when solving problems, reaching consensus, reaching across the aisle was seen as a virtue. When you exhibited those behaviors in the past, that actually helped you in terms of seeing a broader segment of voters uh, approve of the way you're legislating and and wanting you to be returned to office. Now it hurts you, um, and part of that's because of gerrymandering. You know we we created these uh, intolerant bases of uh, like-minded voters in these districts that uh, don't want to see their Republican representative or their Democratic representative uh, work with the other side. And they will actually not only not reward them for working with the other side, they'll actually punish them. Donors are the same way, the special interests, and increasingly the media. Because the media now, as we all know who watch television, Uh, has taken sides. So if you want to uh, hear the propaganda from one party, you turn in one network. If you want to hear the propaganda from another party, you turn in another network. So there's been a whole bunch of things happening simultaneously. And then I guess the last thing I would add, I have a background in education, as you know, um, we are a literate society, but we're not a particularly sophisticated society when it comes to propaganda. And the propagandists, the, the media experts, the marketing experts, the branding experts, and all of this expertise that puts together very sophisticated propaganda. And most Americans are not equipped to deal with it. And
1: yeah, um, well and that's a fault of our educational system. I know that about 20 years ago I worked on the conceptualization of what was called the tech two Um, solution for the California community college system, which is the largest college system in the world, in fact. And we were talking about make the pipe big. And some of the professors were talking about, can I have a new, um, you know, projector for my slides? Um, and, And one of the points that was made often was a deluge of information given to people who lack critical thinking skills, that we do not teach critical thinking um, early enough or intensely enough um, to turn literacy into um, thought. And, and you actually have worked at the college level, so respond to that.
2: Well, we, we're not doing that. I don't think we ever have. Uh, very successfully, if you look at our older voters, they're no more sophisticated in terms of dealing with propaganda techniques than our younger voters. It's, uh, it's just been lacking in the curriculum, any serious attempt to teach critical thinking skills. I used to be, uh, before I was in higher education, I was a high school English teacher and a football coach, which was even then a strange combination. But um, what I taught in my English class on my own was a four week unit on propaganda techniques. And, you know, the bandwagon technique, the glittering generalities and all the others that have been used for generations. But those basic techniques now are so sophisticated um, with the use of visual imagery and, and uh, you know, music and uh, repetition. And, all, you know, the, the people who are the, giving the testimonials, they're, they're selected very purposely for the demographics that the propagandist is focusing in on. Um, none of that stuff is really taught, uh, and it's not even taught, you know, through our social media. I mean, our news, quote-unquote news, gives us, what, two, three-minute bites of um, uh-huh. subjects and topics that could easily take two or three hours to explain to the viewer. So n- nobody explains to the average voter what's happening to them and how it's happening to them. It's, uh, it's really not cipherable for most voters.
1: And I think that is an incredibly fraught statement. Um, because if you don't, I mean, you know, the, the, the premise, the underlying premise of the Constitution of the United States is that the voter would be literate, the voter would be discriminating, and that the f- three parts of government. Would check one another, would complement one another, would force compromise between the large states and the small states, between, you know, the slaveholders and the and the free staters, et cetera, um, in, in a way that worked until about 1855, and then worked again um, after, let's say, 1875, with the exception of Jim Crow um we were able to at the national level find compromise, find common ground um, that allowed um, you know, relatively I mean great progress in the 20th century. But we seem to have lost that ability. What's going on in the Senate today, whether you support Judge Barrett's nomination or not, um, it is not is not the way in which um, the founding fathers would have sought advice and consent
2: that's for sure they they never would have foreseen what we have now. I think George Washington may have come as close as any of them when he warned, to, warned us tried to warn us in his last public remarks about the um, the uh, dangers the, of political parties, especially a two party system but um, the quest for you know the quest for power. Is, is an extremely strong human uh, emotion, desire, motivator. The only thing greater than that quest for power is the quest to maintain it, the fear of losing it. And you put those two things together, the party in power, which is acting out of fear of losing, and the party out of power, but is acting, acting out of desire to acquire it. And you have a two-party duopoly like we have in the United States you have guaranteed gridlock, and you have guaranteed take, take no prisoners approach to political warfare. And it's gotten worse and worse with each election cycle. And undoubtedly, we're seeing the worst we've seen yet. And I, I tremble, frankly, to think about what lies ahead if we don't make major changes.
1: Well, all right, let's, let's kind of take that one on in two parts let's talk about what's happening right now. What we are seeing these these lines of people lining up um, to early vote, can't wait. I mean, you know, they say the election's 20 days um, away. I think the deadline to vote is 20 days away. Most states right now, I think about 44 states have either got early voting, mail-in voting or both happening and we're seeing numbers that were not expected in terms of early voting. I think that's a lot of people being afraid that if they vote by mail, it won't count. Uh, and they wanna make sure their vote gets counted. You know, I, I see that perhaps as more as more indicative of what we're seeing than um, great passion for a candidate.
2: I, I suspect it's a little of both. Um, but you know what breaks my heart, Joyce, you know, It was only a few years ago when you saw people standing for hours and hours just to exercise the privilege of voting, or when you saw people who were concerned that their vote wouldn't be counted. That didn't happen in America. That happened in other countries around the world that we were trying to help become functioning democracies. In fact, we would send observers and teams to those places to try to oversee those elections because of the fear of those voters about the, the inability to vote safely or even accurately. And here we are in 2020, seeing many of the same things in this country. I mean, why in the world should anybody have to stand in line? I saw this on um, the news today. And a polling place in Georgia for between six and seven hours to exercise the right to cast a vote.
1: Well, that was an improvement. That was yesterday. That was an improvement. On Monday, which was the first day, some of the polling places, they were in line for 11 hours.
2: That is incredible. I mean, I, I just... Unconscionable
1: is the word I'd use.
2: Yes, and it, and what's so what's so terrible about it is it's premeditated. Uh-huh. It's not an accident that it's happening.
1: No, it's not an accident. I mean, California, I mean, we vote, like I said, two thirds of us vote by mail. In California, we have three parties the Democrats, who are the majority, the next largest are the independents, and the smallest party is the GOP. So, what did the GOP do in Southern California? They set up their own unofficial uh, ballot drop boxes, and the state has told them to cease and desist. And they say, "Make us," and what they're going to do? Because California, you know, God bless our legislature, um, who gives me more and more reasons to to write another blog about why we need a part time legislature instead of a full time one. But they, in 2018, passed a change that allows ballot harvesting in California. And so what's going to happen with this ballot box thing, what their intention was, was that they were going to cull the votes based on you know, the voter registration records and only submit the Republican ballots and dispose of the rest. I mean, this is California. This is supposedly the most, sophisticated state in the union and they've been told to cease and desist in their response to the secretary of um of state of california is make us if you're in the sound of my voice and you voted in southern california if the if the box wasn't chained to a public building to a library or city hall etc you need to check whether or not your ballot's been received and counted in 2020, how can that be?
2: Well, as I said, it's 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 the new um, uh, it's, rules it's re- rules of we're, warfare. Well, rules but that's a warfare.
1: that's a point. We're going back to the time of George Wallace. We're not counting uh, jelly beans in the jar anymore. What we're doing is either you know putting people at risk of their lives, sitting there for 11 hours in a line, or or are saying, you know, if you're not really careful, we're going to toss your ballot. In fact, we've had instances here where people's ballots have been taken out of their mailboxes and thrown into the into the Guadalupe River. Um, and and so this is not normal behavior. This is not something. And both of us are, you know, grandparents. So. It's not something I've ever thought would happen, ever worried about, um, or ever imagined. How did we get here?
2: Well, one thing's for sure. If you're an enemy of the United States, if you're, uh, if you're in Russia right now, or China, or a, num- a number of other, North Korea, they're loving it. They they yeah. love to see what we're doing to one another and how we're bastardizing the democratic process that used to be the model for the world. You know, when you talked about the Alliance party and our, um, our manifesto, which I appreciated at the beginning of this show, you know, one of the things we said is that, that America should be the gold medal nation. We should, we should strive again, as we once were to be the best example in the world of those things that matter the most to our people. And, and not just, out of a sense of nationalism, but out of a, a sense of showing the rest of the world how things can be done well so that they can emulate. it. They used to do that with our approach to democracy. That's why it flourished for a while. It isn't. Nobody's following our examples anymore. Um, but our enemies are sitting back and watching this gleefully. And, and really, how can you blame them? If you hate the United States, uh, you're not gonna defeat us by building aircraft carriers or bigger missiles. You just need to sit back and watch us defeat ourselves from inside, and that's what's happening right now.
1: And that, I agree with you, and that's, you know, the Russians um, did not meddle in 2016 and are not meddling in 2020 because they're in favor of Donald Trump. It is because they are in favor of, of instability in the American political process. Exactly. And and so what do you suggest that people do? I mean, I, I do know about Rocky being on the ballot, um, but that's not going to solve the problem at this particular moment in time. We have to look forward for that, for that solution. What do people do in 2020? I mean, what's well, your right advice? Now,
2: yeah, right now, I think for the first time in many, many years, I have to say that I'm an advocate, and this will be the only time I will say this, and I hope to God is the only time I believe this. But this time around, I think you should vote for the lesser of the two evils because um, the alternative is really um, too too difficult to contemplate. Um, But that is not the solution. What, what that will do is to stop some of the bleeding, uh, maybe give us a chance to catch our breath. But what, what we're trying to do in this effort that I'm involved with, Joyce, is to get people to think about the day after the election results are confirmed. What and- will have changed, really, other than you've replaced one person for another, maybe one better than the other. But in terms of the system, that you and I have been talking about tonight. And in terms of the attitudes that have been created among our population because of the way we engage in politics in this country with these two uh, dominant parties, what will have changed? Really nothing. And so the systemic changes that have to occur, the reforms that have to occur, need to be front and center. And as you said earlier, when you said we can't do again what happened in 2016 and what is happening now in 2020, we've got to have a sense of urgency. And, and just doing some reforms, uh, picking here and picking there, uh, maybe an improvement in this state or an improvement in that state or in this branch of government or that, unfortunately, is not enough. Um, I learned a long time ago that you can do the right thing, but you can do it so slowly and so incrementally that you get the same results of doing, as doing the wrong thing. Sometimes you have to do the right thing, but you have to do it quickly in order to overcome the problem that's bearing down on you. Some people would use the analogy of climate change as being another example. You know, we can, we can pick away at it, we can come up with some minor adjustments and solutions, but frankly, that's not gonna make enough difference to even bother with. We've gotta make big changes, and I think we've gotta make some big changes in how we conduct ourselves in our political system in this country. And I know one thing for sure. And I, as the older I get, the less I'm convinced of. In, in terms of what I'm sure of, absolutely sure of. But I know one thing for sure: the two parties that created the dilemma we're in are not going to change it. They're not going to fix it. And, no, yeah, I would.
1: Agree. I. I agree. Well, shouldn't. they shouldn't because they're the beneficiaries. Exactly. Um, So that means it's really up to us to change it. So maybe the place we should leave this discussion is to say it more important than any time in your life is to go to the polls and vote or vote by mail. Voting by mail really is, unless you wait to the last second, relatively or put your you're voting in the drop box but make sure it's got the official seal on it and it's on government property um, but make sure you vote voting in large numbers in larger numbers showing an interest getting involved is absolutely the first step to a conversation that Jim I'd like you and I to have on another podcast which is to say you know, if we value this representative democracy enough to want to continue it, we gotta start now on the changes that have to happen before twenty twenty four.
2: Exactly. Immediately. Yesterday. We have got Yesterday. To be-
1: and we're gonna have another conversation on another podcast to talk exactly about that.